Hey, hurdlers! Emily Abadi here, bringing you another installment of Hurdle Moment from Hurdle. For today's episode, I am chatting with Dr. Uma Naidu. She's a Harvard-trained nutritional psychiatrist. Sounds super fancy. We'll talk about exactly what that is in today's episode, as well as a professional chef and nutrition specialist and author of the relatively new book, This Is Your Brain on Food. We are chatting all about foods for your brain, what you should be incorporating into your regular diet so that you can think clearly, do the things that you need to do, and even combat a little bit of brain fog, something that I think that many of us have been navigating over the last 16, 18 months. We also talk a little bit about stress eating, which I think is something that I certainly have been trying to work on lately, and some benefits that I didn't know about a beverage that is in my regular routine, as well as the spices in your spice cabinet. A lot of really good intel here. Again, I know that so many of us have been just struggling to uh, what feels like maintain status quo uh, as of late. And so I wanted to have Dr. Uma, as she is often referred to on the show, to chat through, you know, just some healthy hacks that we can implement into our diet so that we can perform better on the regular. Before we get into it today, no ad read here, just a quick plug. If you haven't done so yet, and I ask for this, you know, pretty regularly, but it would mean just so much to me if you've been a hurdler for a while and you haven't rated and reviewed the show in Apple Podcasts, head on in over there, do so, give it five stars, and make sure if you are not subscribed to Hurdle, you're not getting these automatically downloaded into your feeds every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Go ahead, click subscribe while you're at it. Last little bit of housekeeping here. I want to make sure that I plug the Hurdle merch, the pre-sale for this merch, which includes sweatshirts, hats, mugs, ends this coming Friday. So if you want to get yours ASAP, if you want to show your support for the show, rock your gear, make sure you click on in over to the show notes and snag yourself all of the goods. I kind of laughed a little bit when I bought my own sweatshirt <laughs> to make sure that I got the order in. I went with a large, they are unisex, but feel free to hit me up with any questions, concerns, thoughts in my DMs over on social. You can reach the show either over at Hurdle Podcast or I'm over at Emily Abadi. And with that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I am sitting down with Dr. Uma Naidu. She's a Harvard-trained nutritional psychiatrist, a professional chef, a nutrition specialist, and also the author of the book, This Is Your Brain on Food. How are you doing today? I am well, Emily. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, of course. I'm so excited to have you here. Just the idea of being a nutritional psychiatrist. I feel as though so many people listening to this show may not even know that there are individuals who have this role. So talk to me a little bit about what it means to be a nutritional psychiatrist. I'll definitely share uh, what it means to me. The field of nutritional psychiatry is about using healthy whole foods and nutrients to nourish your body in order to nourish your mental health. So it's the use of healthy whole foods and nutrients for your mental well-being. 
It doesn't exclude the use of medications or other therapies, but it really provides an additional tool in the toolkit for improving uh, how you're feeling emotionally. Hmm, super interesting. Did you always think that you wanted to get into this sort of line of work? I would love to say, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, And I think that the way I would explain it is I always followed things that I loved to do. So medical school was a passion. Science and, and understanding more was a passion. I loved nutrition and food. I grew up in a large South Asian family, so food was very central to uh, my culture and how I grew up uh, and spending time with my grandparents. So it was it was a big part of my life. And there were family members who were both allopathic physicians and Ayurvedic practitioners. So this this sort of holistic thinking around medicine. My parents, my grandparents and parents taught me yoga and meditation. So I sort of came into the world with these different tools. And my trip to culinary school, though, was my ode to Julia Child, because then I realized that she was actually known for her second career, which was the culinary arts. I thought, well, if I have time, why not me? You know, of course there was no time, but but why not me became the question. So I followed things that I loved to do, but I was very fortunate that it came together in, in a way that um, I wish I could say I planned, but I didn't. Um, and the component of being able to actually translate food to people nutritionally, but then share a recipe that improves mental health uh, is a very big part of how, how I work with individuals. So it's not just straightforward mental health part as well. And it's so interesting, right? Because there is just so much deep rooted, you know, emotional, physical, like there's just so much in our mental health that has to do with food, right? I know for yes. myself, I'm, and I'm sure you've spoken with so many people over the last 14, 16, 18 months who leaned yes. into food in ways that maybe they never had before for for comfort and emotional outlet to deal with the unpredictability about what was going on in our world. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, leaning on, on food and sort of un, and developing, some people develop good habits, so, so that's great for them. But unfortunately, the statistics are showing us that most of us lean into bad habits and um, not the best for our metabolic health, not the best for our weight. And certainly, you know, there's, there's some trickery with how the, the, the neural circuits work because those foods that people call comfort foods, I call discomfort for the brain. But, you know, those comfort foods initially create a little bit of a nice feeling for you. But that same feeling also creates a craving. So it becomes a vicious cycle of how we get into stress eating or emotional eating. And it's related to circuits, um, uh, related to the HPA axis in the brain and things like that. So, you know, we, I say to people these days, think about something that, you know, you, you may have picked up during the pandemic that you really want to change. Start small, just start there. Right. And so today we're here to talk about cooking and eating for your brain, what can be helpful versus hurtful. But you brought up, uh, you know, a trigger phrase there for me, which would be emotional or stress eating, something that, yeah. again, I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this episode right now certainly have leaned into in the past. So before we get to articulating what some of these cooking and eating strategies can be to sharpen our our brain on the day-to-day. -day. I'd love to just talk about that for a minute. Talk about a tip or two that you could offer to the listener who feels like they are the kind of person who often leans into food when they are stressed or just feeling highly emotional. Right. You know, the, I think the two things that I feel are the most important is one is having awareness. 
I think that if we are aware that this situation of emotional eating is, is stressing us out, then it's worsening that stress cycle, right? So having awareness and deciding, is it something that we want to change? And then if you really feel that you want to, it's, a, it's the first step towards stepping back from such a habit. Because the reality is, if we can't feel that we can break that cycle, um, no one else can do it for us, right? We, we have to be able to step away from the cookies or, or, or what, whatever it might be for a certain person. The second part of it is also environment. So if over COVID, you know, there's so much panic at different phases that people reached out for processed foods. Processed food sales were significantly high in the United States and have remained that way throughout COVID. And what it taught us is people were looking for shelf-stable um, foods that they, when they were afraid that what, what if we run out of food? And it was, an, it was a natural fear that people had at times when grocery shelves were empty in certain stores and things like that. So I get, I get that we had good reasons to feel that way. But now we're at a point where things have evolved a little bit and it's time to, you know, unpack those, those kitchen cabinets or wherever it is that you uh, may be storing stuff that, that you stocked up on. Um, and I'm not saying throw out all your food, but I am saying be, be aware. If, if, if you have tubs of ice cream, if there are, you know, there are lots of chips and cookies and things that are highly processed, which are, we know are not good for our gut and they're not good for our brain, Changing that environment um, and putting in healthier options becomes easier for you because the next time you want a snack, say you're working from home and you want a snack and you get up to get something, if there isn't a chocolate or candy bar in your fridge or your, your cabinet, but there are, you know, there's fresh hummus and fresh veggies or some snack or blueberries, you know, some almonds. If there's something else there, that's what you can reach out for. So some of it is also what I call environmental controls. No matter how strong your willpower is, if you have it in your environment, it's not going to be a guaranteed thing that you're going to be able to walk away from. You know, your brain is going to remind you there are, co- there are cookies not happening. You know, there's ice cream in the fridge. That's what you face on. <laughs> and it's so funny because I've like, and I'm I'm certainly like a product of my environment. And I know if there is ice cream in the freezer, I'm going to have it at the end of every day. If there is chocolates in the refrigerator, like those little dark chocolate peanut butter cups from Trader Joe's, I swear to God, I buy them every time I check out. And I know that I'm going to have have one to two at the end of every day. But I had a bag of gummy bears that a girlfriend gave me for my birthday, which is a random thing to give someone for your birthday, but it's fine. And I put them in the top shelf of my cabinet that I never open. And I had them there for probably about a month. And when I rediscovered them, once I rediscovered them, it was a wrap. (laughs) <laughs> that's funny yeah exactly i mean anything we can do to trick our brain you know and 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 help ourselves it's it's it's, it's a challenge it's definitely not easy but you know when we start small with with something that we feel is achievable and we can gain mastery over that that goal um the people immediately start to feel the difference and then they want to do more so so that's that's always where i feel we can start the process Definitely. And so we're talking about our brains here. We're talking about how to eat for our better, the betterment of our brain health. But before we even get into foods or tricks or tips, talk to me about how this is a thing, right? Like how did we get to a place where we started to realize like, Hey, what we're eating can be helping in this specific area. Right. 
Right. And that's really the niche um, that nutritional psychiatry fills. It's really only, um, look, for decades, for eons, we've spoken about, you know, we've made remarks to ourselves, to our family, to our friends after we've eaten something. We've said, oh, I feel so tired. I'm going to take a nap. Oh, I, you know, feel so energized. Oh, my goodness, I have a headache. Whatever it is, we've often spoken about those things, but we haven't made the connection back to the food. The reason I say that is is nutritional psychiatry fills this niche of explaining the food-mood connection, which really has emerged through the scientific evidence and ongoing research around the gut-brain connection, which is newer research of only, I would say, the last 15 to 20 years. Now, I should also say that Hippocrates, eons ago, said um, and made the connection between um, the gut and the brain. But, you know, the research had to follow, and it followed many, many many, many years later. But the good thing is it is now explained a lot to us. And as we uncover it, we realize that you wouldn't think that where your gut is and where your brain is, that those areas are connected other than being in the same human body. But those two organs arise from the exact same cells in the embryo. And then they divide up, you know, end up in your brain and in your gut. And then they remain connected by the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve, which I like to call a two-way superhighway which allows for chemical messages to try be transported back and forth, up and down, um, all day, 24-7, 24, 24 uh, 365 days a year. But the chemical messages become important because that is how it translates information about how we eat. Um, so, so when we understand that, we understand that uh, 90% of serotonin is produced in the gut and the receptors are there. And serotonin is the, called the happiness hormone. It's um, medications like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors like Prozac, and others are based on that mechanism. We start to put the pieces together of how the food that we eat as it gets digested forms, in simple terms, breakdown products. When we eat a healthier meal, those breakdown products are healthier products. They help us. They nurture the microbes in our gut. They take care of many aspects of our health. But when we eat, and you know, if you were in the fast food lane and and um, surviving on those types of food uh, every single day, there are the bad microbes in the gut, or the ba or firstly bad um, or, or more toxic, less helpful substances get broken down and produced by the food. And then the bad microbes start to thrive. And this is a setup for inflammation in the gut which ultimately over time leads to conditions like leaky gut. And that, that all loops back to the brain. So it, it just becomes important for us to understand that basis. It's really interesting as well, though, because the question arises, like say of either the fast food example or the desserts example, like obviously, as we know, we're human. There's a time and a place for certain things, not to say that you should be going to the McDonald's drive-thru every week or even every other week. But if you go with your young son, perhaps like to the mm -hmm. McDonald's drive-thru once every once in a while, that's not us sitting here and saying like, oh my God, that is literally the most toxic thing that you could do. This is absolutely awful. Of course not. But that moment mm -hmm. like has a fulfilling emotional opportunity, perhaps, whether you're with your one, one, young son or, or you're, it's a mm -hmm. reward per se at the end of the day. So how do you differentiate between like the thing that fills you up emotionally 
perhaps in that moment rather than like stress eating. And that's why we're leaning into these like not so good for us options versus Mm -hmm. um, thinking about the, you know, ramifications that eating something like one of these examples could have for your body, for your, for your, you know, that connection that we just spoke about. Absolutely. So, you know, a few, a few guidances around that um, come from some of the pillars I talk about in nutritional psychiatry. And one of them is balance is the key. I like to talk about the 80-20 rule, you know, um, that 80% of the time we do the best that we can and 20% of the time we, we have the freedom to make choices for, for and however that may be, whether it's with your young son or not, you know, a, a chance to bond over a type of food. And, and I think what I want to specify here is that, you know, food is associated with memory. It's associated with good feelings, with, with thoughts, with aromas, with um, things that we might love. Um, you know, I think that being mindful about the choices that we're making does become important. So um, I'm not saying don't don't hang out with your child and, and go to, go to the drive through but be mindful of it. You know, use the moment to educate your child. Um, think about the the fact that if that becomes you know a daily habit, then then it's then it is an issue because then you are affecting the gut microbes, then you are affecting your health. And this is this has been shown in research studies. So this is not soft science, and it's not it, it's not something that we're just touching on lightly. On the other hand. You know, enjoy the moment, and and I always say to people, you've had X X Y Z. Well, you know, the next meal, make a better choice. It's not a crime. It's it's we we have to live our lives. We cannot stay away from processed foods. They're in our environment, you know, and it's it's hard to say, oh, never ever eat this again. And I think to be that uh, polarized makes it hard for people because as it is, you know, in all sorts of ways, shapes, and forms, we get information about food, which is confusing for the average person, for everyone. To be honest, it's, you know, what should I eat? What should I give up? What should I eliminate? Which diet should I follow? So, so I think that it, it balances the key and, you know, following an 80-20 rule um, that, that makes it easier for us to, na- to navigate the world is important. Definitely. So let's talk about your brain on food. How can we, on a day-to-day basis, start to set ourselves up to be in the best case scenario for feeding our brain so that we can in turn show up better everywhere from the office to our relationships? Absolutely. So, you know, it starts off with some simple principles, but but those pillars that I talk about are now linked to um, evidence surrounding, say, ingredients and nutrients. So, so take leafy greens. You've, you know, I'm sorry you've spoken to a doctor, said to you, eat more salad, you know, eat those leafy greens, or you've read it in a magazine. But it turns out that, you know, the greener, the better. Those leafy greens, romaine lettuce, dandelion greens, whatever it is you have access to, watercress, arugula, you know, romaine lettuce, all of those have folate. And folate is a key nutrient for the brain. Low levels of folate are associated with depression. Um, folate uh, can also be linked to loss of brain cells in certain studies. So it becomes actually much more important than, oh, just eating a leafy green. There's there's actual nutrient uh, behind it, in, in addition to all the other vitamins and minerals that it's bringing along too. Um, another thought is, so so just including those in your everyday and having several servings a day, 
as long as you can tolerate, you don't have an intolerance or an allergy, is a great a great way to, to get going. Another is eating the color of the rainbow. So the different colors of, of plant foods, um, you know, peppers and cucumbers and, and we mentioned lettuces and, and everything um, that is colorful and beautiful. The colors of the rainbow actually represent phytochemicals, phytonutrients, um, antioxidant properties, anti-inflammatory properties, which are great for your gut, but also great for your brain. They also bring what we call biodiversity to the gut. So those microbes like to eat a variety of different foods to thrive. And when they thrive, they secure our immunity. They help our circadian room. They help our hormones, help so many things, but they also help our mental health. So that's another easy one. Eat more colors, challenge yourself to make it a game with your family, you know, putting putting more colors of plant and also uh, so vegetables and fruit, right, fall into that category. Another one is um, including things including things like prebiotic foods and fermented foods. So prebiotic foods are really easy to do because guess what? They're found in um, the allium family. So garlic leeks, onions, um, other foods like bananas, oats, all other things that we, we might be eating. So these are good for, uh, good for our brain, good for our gut. So another easy thing we can just build into that plan. Fermented foods, you know, almost every culture has a fermented food. So there's Korean kimchi, there are, you know, there are, there's sauerkraut, there's kefir, which is a sour yogurt if you have dairy. Um, there's miso paste, you know, all, all sorts of things, there's kombucha. Those fermented foods bring back great bacteria to um, to your gut. So another easy way. So that's just a way to to get started. And my 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 secret weapon is always the spices in your cabinet because they're very powerful, and they're easy to use. They're calorie free, salt free, sugar free, and they flavor things up. So little things like turmeric with a pinch of black pepper, even if you don't cook with it, add it to a super smoothie or a tea, are great ways to start building almost paving the path towards your better emotional health. Wow. What a wealth of knowledge you just dropped on us. I do have a question. I feel like oftentimes we hear that romaine isn't as quote unquote good for us as some of the other leafy, you know, green lettuces. Is there any truth to that? I, I, I think romaine is fine. You know, my whatever I've studied on it, it seems perfectly fine. You know, I always talk about sourcing, but I'm always respectful that not everyone has the same access to food in terms of uh, socio and economic levels. Organic is going to be safer and better, but I would rather someone eat a lettuce than eat a processed you know, food from a fast food restaurant. So, you know, the, what, what I do know is that people will often say that um, iceberg lettuce is great and crunchy, but may not be as nutritious. But, you know, if it fills, fills part of your salad and gives you that great crunch that you like, there's no harm done there. I think uh, it, for me, it really goes back to where you source your food from too. Right. And I know that oftentimes our goal is to get a lot of these nutrients from these whole foods, many of which you just described. I uh, drink a shaken up bottle of Athletic Greens every day. It has what they tote to be the antioxidant equivalent of 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. For us in this conversation, of course, can't be a hurtful thing. In fact, I'm sure it's quite helpful. It's helped me a bunch over the last couple of years. But when we talk about supplementing with something like that versus also getting in these salads and these whole foods, any input on that? Sure. So, so I think, I think, I think when when you can build on healthy healthy habits. I mean, I don't know the 
the mix that you're using, but it sounds good. The, I, I think uh, the more we can do, the better. What I don't think, just like we talk about, you know, you can't, can't exercise out of a bad diet. Well, you can't really supplement out of a bad diet. Now, mm. you know, if, if a person was, say, having a smoothie or having a, a nutrient supplement, but eating, you know, um, fast food the rest of the time, it, it's, it's, it's not going to make up that, that deficit, right? But if you're generally eating a healthy diet, you know, following that 80-20 rule, and you were adding in supplements because, for example, you, you say, didn't need seafood and you wanted to get some form of omega-3 supplementation, which we know has very strong antioxidant, anti-inflammatory properties, health depression, improves anxiety, has an impact on cognition, as well as other forms of physical health, like cardiac health. Um, by all means, you know, it, it, it's a good idea. Just don't depend and rely on it uh, as the only source of your nutrients. And, and I say food first, and then add in those, fill in those nutritional gaps in supplementation. Another example is the far northeast where I come from. Many people might be deficient in vitamin D because of the mm. level of sun we have in the in, in in our year. And that's a good idea to supplement. You know, also spending time outdoors um, for ten minutes in a, a in a day actually gives you eighty percent of your vitamin D. So just little things that help us that help us along become important. You're encouraging me to get outside for my lunch break <laughs> today instead of eating my my sad desk salad. So, I mean, <laughs> what we talked about here, different foods that can help better our brain health, help really charge those neuropathways. What I would love to ask next is, is there anything that someone can do perhaps in the shorter term? And I ask that getting at the idea that many of us on a day-to-day basis with what is going on in our world, feeling, uh, you know, the, the repercussions of burnout, really feeling just foggy and just like totally out of it. Now, I know that the things that you spoke about, great to incorporate and aim to set healthy goals around getting those foods in on the regular going forward. But is there anything that you can do in the short term to really give back to your brain and kind of boost, perhaps get out of that fogginess that we're all just so tired of. <laughs> Absolutely. So a couple of things. Um, you know, the 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 spirit of, of this work and these plans is not overnight and it's not a quick fix. So with that being said, you know, it's it's moving these habits along a pathway so that they become part of your lifestyle. That's the whole plan. Because we are a diet culture, um, you know, and and we tend to be focused on on things like weight and stuff like that. The issue is a lot of those are not sustainable. So finding a lifestyle change that you can stick with is really what nutritional psychiatry brings. And you're right, it doesn't happen overnight. These are, I don't expect people to do all five things and that would be unreasonable. Uh, but having the awareness, you know, knowing you can add those extra leafy greens to your, to your, um, your vegetable bowl or your, um, you know, your salad bowl all, all, all becomes important. In the short term, you know, some, some easy things that a person can do are incorporate spices. Um, they are, you know, just, just thinking in your, in your everyday, what, what can I do now for actual brain fog and, and feeling somewhat unclear. There is an antioxidant, um, found in things like certain, certain herbs like thyme, parsley, Mexican oregano, juniper berries, um, and several others I list in my book that actually helps, uh, helps with brain fog. So in even starting to add those in, on a daily basis, 
whether you're roasting vegetables, whether you're having a soup, smoothie, or tea, whatever it is, however you're eating becomes important. Another good one is green tea. You know, um, people drink coffee. Um, I suggest drinking a few cups in the morning if you tolerate it and if it's not setting up anxiety or other symptoms. Green tea has EGCG and has um, L-theanine, which are very powerful, and they help with clarity. Often people will say they feel a little bit of a, a boost of energy, they feel a little bit uplifted, and they feel a little bit more clear. So that's a great tip for that afternoon slump when we're feeling just foggy or incorporating a good green tea that you enjoy into your day. Um, just remember that many of them have caffeine. Um, so if that's the case, then you want to have it at a time of day that it doesn't affect your sleep. But it's it, the, adding foods in like that could really help with, uh, with, your, with your clarity. And, and starting right now would be would be a good time. I also feel like if you were to tell anyone to clean up their diet and take some of these recommendations to heart, a lot of things would improve, right? Like, of course, we're talking specifically about how an eating style such as this would better the brain. But I would mm-hmm. assume that eating, you know, healthy whole foods would have a dramatic impact on a number of avenues, including, as you mentioned, weight loss. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so it, you know, weight loss is one of them that, that although I'll discuss with clients that I see, you know, this is not the goal, you might actually lose some weight just by eating healthier. Um, but other things are also just, you know, improvement of digestive issues. Um, people have lowered their cholesterol. Um, they have, you know, come off medications for hypertension um, because they, they have started to eat better foods, healthy whole, whole foods, a lot of fiber, which over time they bought, their body has grown used to. You can't go from eating no fiber to you know a ton of it a day. It'll upset your stomach. Um, but they've grown to develop these healthy eating habits over time so much so that it, be- it has become how they live. And they you know end up feeling just a lot healthier, a lot better, and the gut is in balance. So the gut it's really become so central to the functioning of our other systems. Um, you know, the gut is called the second brain because of the number of uh, nerves that that are that exist there. So it it you know deals with so many other systems in our body that it kind of makes that more concrete connection that what we eat becomes important. Um, so overall health definitely improves. One of the things that COVID taught us is how important our metabolic health is. So people with pre-existing conditions either succumbed to COVID or if they survived, um, they had more side effects and long-term problems um, existing. So, you know, how do we deal with our metabolic health? It's through our nutrition and lifestyle. And, and it's the first, you know, things like type 2 diabetes. Doctors are really looking and research is really looking at how can we eat better to make those lifestyle changes, to walk yourself back from pre, pre, um, pre-diabetic states, et cetera. So it's, it's super important. Any other words of wisdom that you want to offer the hurdlers when it comes to eating for better brain health? I would say don't be discouraged. You know, st- stick with it because if in the, it's not an instant overnight plan. Um, if, if you start to incorporate a healthy habit, try to build it in, in an easy way into your life. So say you, you start to have a turmeric tea or you add turmeric to something that you're eating, just have it where you're going to eat so that you easily put it into your food with a pink pinch of black pepper and start that way. If it's 
buying more salad greens, just make sure they're in your fridge. So you almost try to automate the habit, right? You're doing it and, 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 and don't be discouraged if, you know, you eat out one day and, and you happen to eat with a friend and maybe it's not the best choice. Realize the next day that you can, you can correct that. You can, you can walk, you know, you can eat a better meal. You can eat a healthier meal. It's nothing is, it's not about right and wrong. It's about finding our way forward for our best brain health and not judging ourselves. You know, this has been a hard enough to almost um, 18 months now. So, you know, it's, I think it's time we just had some grace with ourselves and said, look, if I had that meal, that fast food meal, you know, tomorrow I'll, I'll, I'll do better. That's all. It, it, it's, I'll do better. If we can do that, we can encourage ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Dr. Uma, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you for more tips? Give me all the details. Thank you so much, Emily. So I'm on social media a lot. So I'm at Dr. Uma Naidu at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. Um, we're always putting out updated research and, and current information that will help you. And my website, subscribe to my newsletter, where we also put up a lot of information. It's umanaidumd.com. I'd love to hear from you there. Um, every Wednesday um, after the summer, I, I do a, a little series where I answer people's questions that they submit to my website. So it's just cool ways to interact with me and, and check out my book if, if it's of interest to you. It's called This Is Your Brain on Food. I love it. This is your brain on food. I'm over at Hurdle Podcast and at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time. <laughs>